Look around your local gym, at the runners in the park, or even your average person on the street, there's one accessory that is becoming more and more popular, the wearable. Indeed, the market for smartwatches, wristband fitness monitors, smart rings and other wearable devices is booming. Some 400 million smartwatches are expected to be sold globally each year by 2026, double that sold in 2020. These devices are packed with sensors tracking heart rate, blood oxygen levels and movement, all of which is great for fitness freaks. But could these consumer devices actually transform healthcare? Welcome to New Foundations, a podcast about innovation and social impact from Economist Impact. In this episode, we'll be exploring what wearables are truly capable of, sizing up their potential to generate medical breakthroughs and even change how healthcare is delivered. This podcast is supported by Pictet Wealth Management, and we thank them for their support. I've got the ring sat on my index finger. My hands are laden with sensors. I've got the smartwatch, I've got the smart ring, and uh, looks like a normal ring, slightly chunky, but I'm going to I'm going to wear this for a couple of weeks and it'll capture my movements, my heart rate variability, my body temperature. Hopefully use that to give me some other insights that can uh, improve my sleep uh, and overall health and fitness. Let's see what we can learn. As wearable technology improves and adoption grows, healthcare innovators are excited by the opportunities the technology can offer in understanding how health conditions are experienced, forecasting the onset of disease, and ultimately offering opportunities to tailor healthcare to individuals. But first, what is a wearable? That term generally refers to the consumer market for smart electronics that we wear, like smart watches. But let's be clear on definitions. What counts as a wearable? And what is its promise in a clinical context? We use this broad term wearables, but wearables can mean a lot of different things. This is Jessalyn Dunn, Assistant Professor of Biomedical Engineering at Duke University. So we tend to focus on this term called biomets or biometric monitoring technologies, which we define as connected digital medicine tools that process data captured by mobile sensors using algorithms to generate behaviors or measures of behavioral and or physiologic function. So the idea there then is that it's not just your commercial smartwatch device, but a biomet also can entail, for example, a chest patch that's used to measure continuous ECG over a period of time. You know, when we think about the broad applications, of course, that the data science is really necessary because if you just have this continuous stream of measurements, I'll give you an example where we have a, a device that produces 86,400 measurements per sensor per day, and it's got four onboard sensors. You can imagine the challenge with interpreting all of that data. So what we don't want to do is just dump all of that data and then tell somebody, well, here's a bunch of information because it's not digestible. So the data science is applied to that data in order to make some sort of actionable insight out of those continuous sensor measurements. So I've just woken up and looked at my phone, which has digested some of the data from my fingers overnight. And it's telling me that I've slept pretty well, actually. A few wake-ups, 
Um, but a low resting heart rate and a heart rate that has stabilized quickly, which is a good sign that I have recovered well from an active day, apparently. It's now giving me a readiness score uh, in the 90s, which is optimal and means, it says, that today is a good day to push myself. I'm still a bit groggy, so we'll see about that. But maybe an indication that some of its, some of its prompts are starting to help me fix my sleep. It's almost like you gain a sixth sense. This is Tom Hale, Chief Executive of Aura Health, the maker of the Aura Smart Ring. So for Aura, we really sort of took that foundation of sleep and with the new uh, ring in our membership program, it, it serves as a, you know, a, a, a lab for you to track and understand your sleep. It serves as a way to, to be a radar for your health, to help you monitor your illness. It's a way for women to track their cycles and understand um, now whether they can use it as digital contraception. Um, and we think this whole kind of mission of moving from sleep into broad health is like wearables 2.0. So can you give listeners uh, a bit of an idea about how it works in practice? What information do you actually tell them? I've I've used it a bit and the, and the main screen on the app shows you how uh, ready you are for the day uh, with a readiness score. How is that derived? What's the What's that really telling you? What's the data that underlies that? When you look at your readiness score, that tells you a little bit like the, the kind of day that you're going to have. And so you think, okay, I've had a good day. You have a glass of wine. And the next day you look at your readiness score and it's plummeted. And it's plummeted because the alcohol that you drank from the glass of wine has um, ruined your REM sleep. It has uh, spiked your temperature. Um, it's reduced your heart rate variability and it's raised your heart rate. And all of these things are like stresses on your body that really, I think we all know that if you drink too much, you're not going to feel well. But one glass of wine, you know, you start to see that impact and you change your behavior. So that's a really powerful way that people's behavior gets changed because they're suddenly aware of things that they weren't aware of before. It's that sixth sense that's coming through. Judging by uh, how it's being used in a in academic and clinical contexts, it, it seems like it's actually pretty accurate as far as consumer devices go. And I sort of wonder what accounts for that. Is it is it the hardware? Is it the analytics that go into interpreting sensor data? What is it that effectively accounts for its accuracy and performance? Accuracy has been... Um, a central tenant of the uh, product from its inception and being science driven has been uh, one of the main ways that the company has made sure that the product is as accurate as it can be. Um, if you think about, um, have you ever seen a pulse oximeter that sits on, on your finger? We're measuring in the same place. Uh, it's the palmar artery that extends from your palm and up your finger. The, you know, the way these tools work is that it projects light into your body. And then based on the light that comes back and the, the sense of it as it's changing, it can create a signal, which then algorithms convert into um data and that data is you know the shape of your waveform of your heartbeat or the frequency of your heartbeat or the change the heart rate variability we really orient around accuracy and so there's 15 sensors that are measuring your body signals including your heart rate your heart rate variability your body temperature your respiratory rate many other things are measured and captured and then transmitted to your phone so it is about the form factor but it's also about our focus on science what about the future of this then? What do you what are you hoping is possible? I think the implication of this is these data sets that wearables are providing are kind of gold mines 
uh, for powerful insights that aren't just about like populations that aren't represented, like underrepresented minorities or women, but also over time, the amount of data and the length of the data collection is, is hasn't been possible before. And that might yield for healthcare in general, a degree of, of greater personalization where your healthcare is not just about your cohort or age or demographics. It's about you and your behavior and the choices that you've made. And by the way, the changes to those. And I, one of the uh, ideas that's sort of embedded in that is this idea that Maybe your treatment could be more personalized. Maybe it could be more data-driven. Maybe it could be more um, preventative as opposed to, you know, intervening once you're sick. Maybe you can learn that, you know, you would be able to change the outcome by, by changing your behavior. Um, and I think that that plays all the way through from the patient-doctor relationship, but all the way through health systems and insurers and, um, you know, uh, employers who who suddenly we'll, we'll have access to all sorts of history of your data. And then the algorithms, if, assuming that you permit them to, to have access to that data, will be able to make all sorts of predictions. Understanding how data collected by wearable devices could yield medical insights and can be used in clinical settings is a burgeoning area of research. One person scouring for insights in the data is Stephen Friend, Professor of Connected Medicine at Oxford University and chairman, president, and co-founder of nonprofit research group for you and me. The work that we've been doing has been looking at how the, the wearables, uh, smartphones, the signals that are coming off of them can uh, be woven together into following symptoms. So it's one thing to use a, a smartphone or, or a watch or something else to, to look at heart rate or to look at step count. So these I think of as physiologic signals. And what really matters when it comes to doing interventions and, and treatments is those need to be translated into what a clinician looks at. So we call those symptoms. And so the projects that for you and me has been working on have been a series of feasibility studies where we ask, can the signals that come off the wearables, off the smartphones, be turned into a new way of following symptoms that otherwise are just uh, what someone says subjectively. I feel tired or I'm not thinking well. So the projects that uh, we're working on currently are a, a wide spectrum, ranging from looking at what causes flares and Crohn's disease through to looking at whether we can detect early tumors, whether we can see whether someone is has a, a, a tumor, they're not aware of it, through to studies looking at the effects on heart attacks to a main study that we have, one that is on pregnancy called bump. So how do you go about translating some of these vital signs into those symptoms, as you call it? So um, let's take a specific example. Um, let's take the work that's in the pregnancy study. Um, we went through and looked at the long list of symptoms that individuals have in, in uh, during pregnancy and asked what of the objective physiologic signals that sensors could pull off of a, a watch or a smart ring or a, a smart scale could give us objective clues for those uh, symptoms and found that there was a core set of symptoms such as fatigue or gait or cognition 
mood that um, we felt as if we had lots of signals that we could track. So just to give an example, the, you know, the accelerometer and the GPS and other tools that come off the, the watch or in these Aura smart rings, we can uh, get uh, clues of heart rate variability or how you're sleeping. And off the body port scale, we can look at ejection fractions, we can look at pulse waves. And so Going through that uh, large list, we can take something such as fatigue, so here's one symptom, and how we weave that together is we take all those in-app activities, some of them being measured uh, every minute, some of them every hour passively. We combine that with the active tasks that we ask participants to give, and so when we get this big grid of all those specific signals, we call it sort of a behavior gram, we can then follow that person in days and, and weeks and match what we're seeing and ask what of those features correspond to what someone is saying they're feeling with regard to fatigue or another symptom. So is this then just a, another way of capturing those same symptoms but with wearables? Or do you hope to capture perhaps other signals that perhaps are, are not being self-reported or perhaps being consciously experienced uh, in, the, in the same way? It's a combination of both. It is helpful to strengthen that subjective voice of an individual um, because it means that it is a higher chance that you can do interventions from that uh, linkage as, as I was mentioning, directly tying those objective uh, features to the subjective uh, symptom. But uh, as you uh, intimated, it's a real opportunity to ask, um, what is the body going through? What, what is the objective state of that person? So whether it's fatigue or stress or gait, it's almost like a, a, an additional voice um, the voice of the patient's subjective feeling of where they're sensing um, their condition. And then it gets matched, sometimes with good overlap, sometimes not, with really what the body itself is uh, experiencing. This podcast is supported by Pictay Wealth Management. Alexandra Tavazzi, head of the CIO office and macro research at Pictay, gives their view on the potential of wearable tech. Significant improvements in electronics, computing power, biology and manufacturing have opened the door for small non-invasive wearables. The current market size is about 116 billion US dollars with a compound annual growth rate of 18% from 2021 to 2026, so the market size will soon reach 265 billion US dollars. This will have a positive impact not only on screening and prevention but also when treating patients in a more acute state. Wearables can have a deep impact on people's lives. A good example is the improvement that have recently been made in managing diabetes with constant glucose monitoring devices. The two leaders went from zero to millions of users in five years post-launches. Their systems are now being paired with tubeless insulin pumps that can work in closed loop without human interaction for a large part of the day, being de facto artificial pancreas with a very small and barely noticeable device. With more than 20% of GDP spent towards healthcare in the US, there's a significant room for cost savings by better treating diseases and by improving screening and prevention. According to a 2019 study published in JAMA, inefficiencies in the US healthcare amounts to more than $700 billion per year. Being able to prevent diseases and living a healthier life has a direct impact on productivity and self-esteem. 
It may also create a new business model based on what wearables offer in terms of data and medical insights, changing mentalities towards a more preventive healthcare system. That was Alexandra Tabatzi of Pictay Wealth Management. So I've been wearing these devices for about two weeks now and got a good idea of my base state such that it's uh, starting to spot some trends. So go into the app to look through those. Overall, my sleep is quite often disrupted. There's no surprise there. I have a toddler who can make a few surprise appearances in the night and wake me up. But it's also spotted some correlations. So eating late or screen time or late caffeine, that all has a noticeable negative effect on my deep sleep and uh, my recovery. But what's surprising actually and, and somewhat non-intuitive is the importance of, of balance actually. So of activity against rest. So exercise without downtime and rest to balance it out is having a real negative effect on my sleep and on my heart rate variability, which is a key indicator of my overall readiness each day. We've heard in part one how wearables can help people keep track of fitness and sleep and give insights to help them make improvements to their health and wellness. We've seen how we can monitor large groups of people to show how health conditions are experienced and perhaps how that differs from person to person. But continuous data gathering opens up other possibilities too. But getting to know your baseline state, researchers are finding that data from wearables could give us valuable early signals of developing health conditions through subtle changes in heart rate, relative temperature or activity. Jesslyn Dunn of Duke University leads the Big Ideas Lab, which aims to explore some of these possibilities. What we do is we integrate data engineering and analytics. Um, so that's where big ideas comes from. But also what we are trying to do is take these big ideas that we have in terms of using wearables to improve public health and applying them to real world scenarios. So we had done a fair bit of work in infection detection from wearables prior to COVID appearing on the scene. And in that work, we had seen that there were these early markers of influenza, rhinovirus infection, RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. And what became sort of obvious as COVID unraveled in China was that the technologies that we had been developing as these early indicators of infection could be very useful in this new emerging disease. And we had um, about 7,600 people enroll in the study. And we actually just recently had our first publication on the, the research findings accepted for publication that really do show that there is this increase in resting heart rate. There's this decrease in physical activity that are both occurring at the same time as an infection and actually there are indicators of these digital biomarkers going awry before a person actually gets tested. So what's fascinating about that is that we actually can see that somebody is coming down with an infection before they themselves know that they're sick. And you know the implications of that are huge. We think that there is an incredible opportunity to just 
catch things earlier if we use wearables data generated online things that happen before people enter the healthcare system leo walansky is director of data strategy and products for the pandemic prevention institute at the rockefeller foundation he too sees remarkable benefits but wants to encourage wider adoption and open up bigger data sets what we're trying to accomplish at the Pandemic Prevention Institute is unlock data that can be shared widely to ultimately raise the alarm around either a new threat or a change in an existing threat that can guide decision making that ultimately improves lives and enables decision makers and policymakers to determine sort of how to do that. So the specific concept is there are tons of data being generated by people who are using your everyday commercial wearable devices and we know that the biomarkers being generated from these wearable devices can generate insight into that individual's health but even further a population's health and right now what we're trying to do through this research study is understand when people are actually getting sick uh, with influenza-like illnesses, including COVID-19, so that we can tag those sicknesses, those actual clinical records to these biomarkers so that we can build models that identify when there are anomalies in individual health as well as population health, which is our ultimate goal. And so what we want to be able to do is eventually get to the point where we've proven out that should people share their data in sufficient quantity, we can detect outbreaks without requiring people to actually go to a healthcare facility and be diagnosed with some virus or some pathogen. What will it take then to scale this up to large segments of the population? And what are the challenges that stand in the way? One of the big limitations is just overall density or coverage over the population. So do we have enough percentage of people as well as a representative swath of the population to be able to say anything definitive about population health? And the challenges there are multifold, one of which is the cost of these devices. You know, we don't want certain populations to be underrepresented that can't afford wearables or perhaps are not tech savvy enough to be interested in their benefits. And so that is one big limitation is making sure that it's not just the fitness junkies and tech forward adopters that are, are using these tools. For wearables to really become a universal force for good, we need to improve access to the technology, which will in turn give us access to much better data. But capturing large amounts of intimate data, monitoring people so closely, raises privacy worries. There are great benefits here in innovation, but we need to protect individual privacy too. How should the balance be struck with innovation and medical benefits against privacy? We have become so acclimated to sharing data about ourselves in certain fields and in through certain means like our google searches for example can be quite intimate however rightfully there's some reservations particularly around 
something as sensitive as your own health and something like your resting heart rate, for example. I think right now the wearable device industry is not terribly regulated. And one of the big challenges as these devices get better and better and as these companies realize the treasure trove of data that they're sitting on and the potential benefit they can provide to the end users by even just letting them know, never mind sharing it with, say, the CDC or something that there's an outbreak or a risk of outbreak or some change in population health, but even just letting the individual know that there's you know, hey, you, you might be getting sick, um, maybe take it easy the next 24 hours, that would create a better product for them. However, they have some challenges. Some people might find that creepy. And so they, I'm sure, will be doing tons of user research to figure out how to deliver that kind of insight in a way that does not seem like an overstepping and quite highlight the amount of data they have, but mostly frame it around the benefit that they can provide to the individual. That is it for this episode of New Foundations. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to Pictay Wealth Management for their support. You can find out more about the series as well as articles and further reading at newfoundations.economist.com.